You're listening to Reach, a podcast created for professional bloggers to help you expand your reach and maximize your bottom line. I'm your host, Val Geisler, fellow blogger and marketer at ConvertKit. What is your true measure of success? Is it more money? Time with your family? The ability to travel? Maybe it's working longer hours or maybe shorter hours. Every single blogger has a different definition of success, and it's important that you check in with yours. So today we're talking about success with Don Haney. Don is the owner and founder of Nerdwax. Now, if you're a glasses person like I am, you're going to love this. Nerdwax is a beeswax-based blend of all-natural and certified organic ingredients, specially formulated to keep your glasses in place. This conversation is a little bit different than our normal chats with bloggers. Don shares how he found his own definition of success, what being in a connection economy means to him, and he even lets you in on how he manages the to-do list of his growing product-based business that was featured on Shark Tank in October of 2015. If you find yourself feeling inspired by today's interview and want to impact your own reach right away, get your free action guide from this episode at convertkit.com slash reach, or just click the link in your podcast player. Now let's find out how Don Haney achieved his reach. Hey, Don, thanks for being on the podcast today. Thanks, Val. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I'm really excited to have you, um, mostly because your story and business model definitely is a little bit different than um, some of our other guests and that a lot of our listeners might be pursuing and they want to hear from someone like you. So I'm so glad that you uh, took the time and, and said yes when I asked you to be on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to uh, give. We're pretty new company still. We've only been uh, going here for two years, uh, but I'm, I have gained so much just gleaning from other people via podcasts. And so any chance I have to give back into that feedback loop, I do. So I'm so excited to get to share my experience and my point of view. And hopefully uh, folks will uh, enjoy it. Well, let's talk a little bit about your your story then. Um, because while your business model itself might be very different from some of our other guests so far on the show, your story might feel really familiar. So um, can you take us back? You said you the company is a two-year-old company. So can you tell us a little bit about the company, about Nerdwax and uh, and those humble early beginnings? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we really started two years ago, but the whole idea for Nerdwax really started almost seven years ago. At the time, I was a touring audio engineer, and I was on the road doing um, monitors, front of house, um, production management for several artists, uh, mostly in the country music space because we're here in Nashville, Tennessee. And um, I was getting really burnt out. I had been doing it um, for 10 years and um, I have a wife and three beautiful kids and our third child had just been born. And um, there was a season of time that we went through a really rough spot and I was really forced to make a decision about what I wanted to do with my life and uh, made the decision to get off the road. 
Um, and up until that point, um, I had been looking for other kind of side hustles. A lot of people on the road around me had all, um, were all doing other things to kind of supplement their careers. And at the time I was working on this kind of pet project because I was outside doing summer festivals and concerts all the time. My glasses were constantly sliding down my nose and there'd be times where I'd like reach down to pick up a guitar amp and my glasses would fall off my face. And so I just kind of chuck them over to the side and uh, I looked for solutions online. Anything I could find was like a hook or a band. Um, and I thought, you know, surfers use surf wax in the water on their, their surfboards. I bet I could make something like that. But for your glasses, that way I don't have to add something to my glasses. It'll be completely invisible. And uh, it'll stand up for when I get sweaty or um, my face is oily. I'll be able to keep my glasses on my face. So I went home and I was just experimenting that with, um, on the road with myself. I'd come home, uh, I'd mix a batch in my kitchen, uh, and then I would take it back out on the road and I'd test it out and started giving it out to people. People started asking me where, where can, uh, where can I buy it? And I thought, man, I might have a business here if, if there's this much demand. So I started giving it out to people. They were liking it. Uh, and that's when this kind of big moment happened in our life, uh, where I had gotten my formulation. Uh, I was all ready to go with Nerdwax, and I uh, hit this kind of uh, cross in the roads where I could continue the path um, or I could make a left turn and try to spend some more time with my family. So I chose the left turn and got off the road, and I took two jobs. And when I did that, I had put my whole idea on hold. Uh, and I put it in a box, I put everything in a box in the basement and I labeled it. I said, nerd wax, super secret, do not open. And, uh, it was kind of my own way of, of putting everything on hold and putting my family first. Uh, and it was about two years after that point that I, um, started, uh, I was, I was working for Dave Ramsey producing the Entree Leadership Podcast. And I was listening to all these entrepreneurs, people who had started businesses. And I realized that, uh, there wasn't really anything special about them other than they just went out and did it. And um, I really began to see the the value and execution over idea and that your idea is never really fully formed or developed and perfect. And you just have to get it to a place where it's kind of the MVP, the minimum viable product, and then you just go and start doing. And so at the time, uh, I had a full-time job. I was uh, off the road. But um, we were, you know, kind of in a consistent level of life and I was really bored and just thought, you know, I need to, to have, I need to, to take this thing out of the box. I need to go for it because if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. And so that was uh, 2014 in the spring. Uh, I called up a friend and he came out and we shot a Kickstarter video and we just launched Nerdwax via the Kickstarter community. And we had gone back and forth about how to set our Kickstarter goal and just thought, you know, let's just set the minimum amount necessary to do this first run. Let's see if it uh, kind of takes off and, and, what, and the, what the public response will be around it. And we launched our campaign in April. Um, within the first uh, 24 hours, we had already exceeded our goal uh, of $10,000. And it was crazy exciting. It was one of those things where you've been working on this thing. You don't know what the public response is going to be. And it was just completely overwhelming. So by the end of the 30-day campaign, we had raised over $60,000. 
And uh, wow. it quickly became apparent <laughs> that I was n- not going to be able to keep up my nine to five job and start this new business. So I really got just kind of shoved right into it. And I think that looking back, that was a really, um, a really great thing for me to be forced to do because um, I tend to be um, more of the like, let's get it, let's wait, let's get it working, uh, let's make sure that we have all the systems in place. And really, it just shoved me into just start doing it and going. And so I started kind of looking up at all those entrepreneurs that I had interviewed and thought, what would they do in this situation? Uh, and so I put in my, my notice, uh, at my job at Dave Ramsey and, uh, at the end of summer and took a part-time job teaching audio engineering to students, uh, college students in a school here in Nashville. And when I did that, I was doing kind of, uh, uh, it was technically a full-time teaching gig, but it was like kind of half of the hours that I had before. So it wasn't like I just went and quit my day job and jumped full into it. I kind of found a way to step from one thing into the other thing. Uh, and that was, that was a nut looking back on, uh, our story so far. That was another really great, um, kind of blessing is that, uh, we haven't put ourselves in building this business, we haven't burnt the ships. Um, I think that's one way to do it is to go and and to give yourself uh, no return and to kind of force yourself into that uh, place. But it's not the only way to do it. And I think that um, when I was at Dave Ramsey, one of the things that I took from his organization that is that you can you don't. Uh, you know, the debt and um, taking on um, kind of speed. Uh, that's one way to do it. And the startup culture is really about doing that. Um, and some of the things that I learned at Dave and from people like Seth Godin is that the, the, the most powerful force is, is that force of erosion, the power of the drip and the power of just consistency over time. And I thought, you know, I'm going to try to find some kind of path that's in the middle of those two, where we can be small and nimble and light and we can move quick but also to allow ourselves to um, not be just kind of washed away and just left with nothing if this doesn't work out. So we've um, kind of consistently added that into our story at different points in our life um, or at different points in the, the life of the business. So I went from kind of taking two jobs to then one job to back to two jobs and then one job, but I always had um, something consistent and then the fun, engaging, inspiring thing as well. And that process um, at the beginning, working through the Kickstarter, um, we went from Kickstarter into uh, I was working two jobs and then uh, we um, decided through uh, just people all the time saying, Hey, you should go on shark tank. Like you should, you should go for that. We decided to apply. So we used the kind of email form on their website. We applied for shark tank and miraculously we heard back from their casting department. And within three months from when we applied to go on the show, we actually filmed to go on the show. That's a quick process. Yeah. And so um, it has taken some people years to get through that process. So we were really blessed in that we had a um, really quick journey from our Kickstarter into the Shark Tank um, queue. Uh, But one thing that you don't often hear about uh, in the Shark Tank world is that uh, they, they, they will film you, but they 
kind of like uh, when you're boarding an aircraft, they overbook that aircraft, they overshoot entrepreneurs for the show. And so you don't know if you're ever going to air. You can go on the show, you can get a deal, you can go through that whole process. But if it doesn't make for engaging television, they won't air you. So it's a really nerve wracking thing to go through that process. So we filmed for Shark Tank in June. uh, And then it was just crickets all the way through until October, two weeks before we aired, they called us up and they said, congratulations, you have an air date. And it was like go time. Uh, We had been prepping for uh, the show as if we would air, but it's really hard to know like how much do you actually spend in your business um, to, because if this thing doesn't happen, you don't want to waste and and have, you know, loads of inventory just sitting there. Um, And so we tried to try to guess as best we could. We ended up going on the show in October. We sold through all of the inventory that we had, we had uh, backed up and uh, we, during that time, uh, we're making wax out of our house. And part of the reason that we went on the show is to find a manufacturing partner. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some kind of, uh, insider knowledge that, that prohibits us from the, from the easy route into the manufacturing. And, uh, we had discovered that in the process of actually making this, uh, in our house. And so, um, one thing in this whole process is we've managed to do our Kickstarter, to do Shark Tank, um, all with just my wife and myself and independent contractors, friends, family. Um, we're, we've been growing this thing uh, really organically and just the two of us. And that's been very liberating because we can be small and nimble and light and make changes. It's also nerve wracking too because it's just you. The buck stops here and there's no one else um, pushing you or behind you. You really have to be self-motivated. Um, and when you have success, it means more work and more hustle. Uh, so after last fall, the, the kind of Shark Tank wave has died down. And now we're at a place in our business where we actually have to see beyond the product and now into making a sustainable business. So um, moving into repeatable marketing and, and things that there's a whole new set of challenges. So anyway, this has been a really long monologue on my point part. <laughs> Uh, but that's... no, it's great to hear the full story because now we can go back and, and talk through some of the parts and pieces. But a lot of times, you know, it's like, oh, well, that answered later on in the story. So yeah. it's great to hear the, the complete beginning to end because, like you said, the at the end and, and even it sounds like throughout the whole process, the focus has had to shift. I mean, you had this big success of the Kickstarter. And so there was a push there. And then after that, it's like, okay, well, what's next? Then next would be Shark Tank. So let's do that. Um, and and there's a push there. So there's all these different, uh, different points where you have to push in different areas. But I kind of want to talk about you said all along you had something really consistent. Um, and that was either the part-time job or the two part-time jobs or at one point, did you say you had three? Yep. Um, yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, in the world of entrepreneurship and, and owning a business, a lot of people um, thrive there because they don't rely on consistency. Um, that that's something that's not a value that's really strong for them. 
And a lot of people struggle with it because that is a value that is very high for them of mm-hmm. having that consistency. And I know you said, you know, you were having you had children at the time and just had a third baby. And, um, you know, obviously, as a father, you want to provide for your family and um, and be that consistent um, caregiver and provider. So can you talk a little bit about your mindset around consistency? Your, you know, is that a core value for you? And um, and what did it mean for you as you were growing Nerdwax to be able to have that consistency? Yeah, it's, it's um, I think whenever I was working for Dave Ramsey, um, there was about 500 people in that organization. And I realized pretty quickly that I don't uh, belong on a cruise ship. You know, like when you you have an organization that big, uh, really any kind of change that's going to happen is going to be very small and it's going to take a long time to implement. So if you can imagine being on a cruise ship, you're not going to make a quick U-turn. You know, that that change in direction is going to be very slight. And there's a value in that. There's a value in having that stability. If you look at the people who work there, if they want to be on that ship and they want to be um, sold, they're there and they have um, a lot of consistency and they have a lot of um, value in that they can trust that that ship is going where they think it's going. Uh, and any kind of change in degrees is going to take a while for them to get there. And I realized pretty quickly that um, my uh, strengths are better served on a clipper ship. Like I want to be in the waves. I want to have, and it's scary and it's adventurous and it's a whole different value set. And I think that as you're um, finding out kind of which ship you belong on, sometimes it's really good to do both those things, to see where it's at. And obviously, you know, you may change ships. You may be on the clipper ship and just get worn out because it just beats you to pieces. And you think, man, sure be nice to be on that cruise ship right about now sitting by the pool. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things where um, I really firmly believe that you are unique and you have a unique story and your um, kind of path in life and, and, and what you find can be completely unique to you. And it may look like other people's paths. You may pull from inspiration and look around you. But the real thing to me is like drive your path and find out what works for you in, in doing this. Um, there are definite um, things that you can do in business that are the um, uh, repeatable uh, consistent things that, Hey, if you add one and one, you get two. And there's a lot of that in business. You have to do this and you will see the result that you want. Um, then there's a lot of things that, uh, are really glass half full, glass half empty. You get to look at it, decide which, um, spectrum that you want to see, and then you can go after that. And so, you know, when we're looking at this as a startup, um, you know, and there's there's a few ways we could look at our money and our growth. Uh, we could look at it as, hey, we want to be um, first to market. We're going to leverage everything. We're going to go for it and just run full tilt boogie. 
But if it doesn't work out, you've taken that giant risk. There could be a bigger reward, but also the um, negative can be bigger as well. So you can have a much greater fall. If you kind of go at a, at a different pace, um, if you go the slow way, you're not going to have that like exponential growth right at the beginning. You're just going to have this consistent build of momentum. And I think that it's not an either or like you don't have to like choose like I'm going to take this one or I'm going to take it. You build a hybrid of what you want Um, and you can really be your brand. You can be um, and build the product and build the business in the way that you see fit. And with that um, comes that responsibility of, hey, if we go you know, slightly too fast, we're taking on that risk. If we go a little bit slower, we're giving up some of that potential return that we could get. Um, And I think it's just important that you identify what you want. One of the biggest things, and and this will be my last like point in this giant monologue again. Um, (laughs) uh, One of the biggest learn uh, learning experiences for me has been around success and how you define success. And oftentimes we allow um, people or we allow circumstances to define success for us. And really what I've come to understand about success is that success is an achieved goal. So if you set forward, you know, if we're using like a sports analogy, if you put a hockey goal out there, by nature, when you put that goal out there, you're going to fail. You're going to miss the net and you're going to put a goalie in front of that net to make it even harder for you to achieve that goal. Um, but when you do that, you're, you're just the act of putting a goal means that you will fail. You're going to miss the net. You're not going to hit that goal every time. If you are hitting the goal every time, there's no challenge in it. There's no game. And so if you set that goal and you score, if you get the puck into the net, you have achieved that goal, you are successful. And what I realized, um, and I realized this after spending 10 years, you know, pretty much all of my 20s trying to achieve other people's goals is I realized I was very successful in a lot of people's eyes. The gigs that I had and what I was doing was something that thousands of people are in line to do, but I didn't feel successful. And the reason I didn't feel successful is that it wasn't my goal to start out with. I had just kind of maneuvered my way into somebody else's goal and I had achieved it. Uh, I was scoring in other people's eyes, but I wasn't scoring in my eyes because that wasn't the game I was playing. I was trying to go somewhere else. And so what I've um, discovered in my own like experience is that you define success because if your success is defined by um, money or other people's expectations, you will not be happy when you achieve it. You will get there. You'll hit that metric but it won't satisfy you because it wasn't your goal. It wasn't your vision to get to that place. When you set out to do the Kickstarter, was that, uh, when you did it, it was what, 2014? Yeah. The Kickstarter. Yeah. So Kickstarters were really popular at the time. Um, Was that something that you were like, oh, someone else is doing Kickstarters and it's being, it's really successful for them. And and I want to try that out here, or was it was it your own goal to begin with? Um, so that's a really interesting point. So whenever uh, I was working uh, for Dave Ramsey, one of my uh, 
I was doing a re- I was researching a podcast and one of the things the topics that I was researching was how to start a business with nothing without using debt. And so uh, Kickstarter was one of those things that I started investigating and looking into. And what I've found in this process of building my business is I'm really great at identifying really complex um, patterns and breaking those things apart and being able to see how to accomplish something using that um, platform. So when I started researching Kickstarter, I started seeing the trends of what made Kickstarters really successful. Uh, and so whenever I came to this point where I thought, you know, I need to make my business happen, I had this like knowledge in my brain of like, Hey, I think Kickstarter could be the platform to do that. A lot of people look at Kickstarter as being, uh, something where you just bring your idea and people support you. And really it's not like that. You're, you're bringing yourself and you're bringing that challenge and that goal to them and saying, help me achieve this goal. A lot of people treat Kickstarter like a pre-order and it doesn't work because people want to attach to the story and they want to attach to helping you. And all those things are like really heavy buzzwords. Like we always talk about those, like you are your brand and, um, you know, and, and really kind of like diving into that, but it's really true. We are now in a connection economy. And so We want to have a connection with the things that we purchase and with the things that we support. We want to be able to look at those things and say, this identifies me as a person. This says who I belong to. And I really identified that through Kickstarter and thought, you know, this is a great platform. One of the the amazing things about Kickstarter is we had planned our kind of like social launch on Kickstarter and we had thought like, here's how we're going to do it. And so we had... Um, friends that we had reached out to before we launched and we had everybody ready. And I, I, um, with Kickstarter, you have to actually go live and then you get all of the links. So I had planned this thing where I was going to launch at midnight and then at 8 a.m. when we woke up, I was going to send out all of the links to our friends who had said they would also share it and we would start the bus moving at that point. So I hit launch and I'm gathering the links and ding, it's like you have your first backer and i was like it hasn't even been like 15 seconds like who who knew i did this and i looked at it it was some guy in like malaysia or like singapore and i was like this is amazing like the fact that it's the middle of the day over there somebody has uh you know is monitoring kickstarter for cool new products and stories that they can be a part of and they're like Hey, that's a cool idea. I'll give you 10 bucks. And you know, it's, it's like it started rolling without me having to do anything. And that's really the power of the internet, the power of the connection economy. If you tell the story, well, if you show people the path to be able to help you, um, they are really willing to do so. But that's the hardest part is being able to connect, um, your story and what matters to you to other people and showing them how they can be a part really simply. And that it's, it's something that seems like it's easy, but it's very complicated. And it also, um, takes some effort and some work and you have to like be very focused on, on doing that. Yeah. In your um, researching Kickstarters and and that idea of being able to start a company without going into debt, was there one thing that influenced you the most um, when it came to accomplishing your goals with the Kickstarter and, and building out the Kickstarter the way you did? 
man, I, uh, <laughs> it's hard. Cause I'm like, I'm like thinking back through some of the Kickstarter, uh, projects that I identified. Um, and the one that stands out the most is actually a failure. Um, it was a person here in Nashville who, uh, decided to do organic homemade marshmallows and they raised, I think it was $300,000 for, for homemade marshmallows. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's a huge, yeah. I mean, it's a niche market, but it's a huge market for yeah. sure. And so the, the, I think their goal was $3,000. And uh, they hit 300,000, something like that. I don't know what the numbers are, but... um, But that was a failure? But so what happened is they succeeded, but when they succeeded, they didn't plan for that amount of success. And I was... Um, Kickstarter is great because it kind of keeps a record of what happened. You can see the updates unfold. And if you are um, able to go back and do some research, you can really see how that project unfolded. And I realized um, their kitchen had burned down and uh, they, during the campaign, kept adding levels, kept adding things. Uh, They were constantly just being like so enamored and caught so much momentum that they just kept adding things. And I was looking at it thinking, there's no way that they're going to make any money from this. Like you mm-hmm. have to know when you are adding products and you're adding rewards and you're getting people excited, you have to know that you can deliver on that stuff. And and as a bystander tearing that apart, I was like, how are they going to deliver on this? And then as I read through the story, I realized like they were like killing themselves trying to do this thing. And then their kitchen burned down and they never fulfilled a lot of their rewards to their wow. backers um, because the whole project just kind of fell apart. Another another project that was like that was um, Flint and Tinder. And Flint and Tinder started uh, bringing back manufacturing to Brooklyn. And one of their fir- first projects was around the same thing. It was like a really small goal of like less than 10,000 over uh, six figures in, in, in earnings. And uh, what he said from that project, I think they grossed around the same thing, like 300,000 on their Kickstarter. And they actually lost $30,000 on their Kickstarter project. Um, and the only thing that saved them is they had some investors come in and kind of supplement their business. And, and, and they were able to, to take that and do another Kickstarter and then be successful. Um, and I think that Seeing what people did allowed me to plan for success as well as plan for failure. And so, and success can be failure too. Like if you exceed your goal and you can't keep up with the demand and you haven't planned for that, uh, that can be almost as destructive as just not even hitting your goal. And so whenever I was building our Kickstarter campaign, I really built that into it. I really built into, um, containing the success. If this takes off, can we, you know, can we keep up with that? And can we keep promises? Cause that's the key to me is we, um, we were behind on our Kickstarter project, but people were so supportive because we were telling them like, look, we know we promised this date. Here's the change. Here's what we're doing to fix it. And here's your new date. And here's the new promise. And people were really forgiving. They were really like, Hey, we understand this is a Kickstarter project. You guys have never done this before. Like keep up the good work. And it was really like, um, it was really heartening to know that there's people behind you and people supporting you. Uh, and that was super, um, influential in me and the way that I treat my business today too, is it's not just about, 
uh, over promise, uh, uh, under promise, over deliver. It's about being, being honest and open and vulnerable with your customers in a way, um, that promotes more vulnerability and more trust and engagement. And if you can master that, it doesn't matter what you're selling, what your widget is, whatever it is, if you can master that relation relationship and you can identify with people and you can say like, I'm, I'm you and you're me, that's where, um, the real commerce is like, that's where the real give and take is. Well, and then there's that being prepared for your level of success. I think that so many entrepreneurs, whether you're a a product creator or a blogger, course builder, whatever you do for a living, a lot of people um, have this like, I want to have a million dollar business. I want to make six figures every month. I want to, you know, Mm -hmm. all these big, big goals, which are great goals to have. But you have to acknowledge if your business is prepared for that level of success. Absolutely. Um, And I think also you just brought up a great point, which is are you, you may think that that's the thing that you want. Um, but you may be miserable once you, you achieve that. And, um, I think Seth Godin said, uh, in one of his, his recent newsletters, he was talking about just that ability to scale. And sometimes you as, as an owner, founder, CEO, like sometimes you don't align with what you have, um, set out for you as a success. So you've defined success, you're you're going for it, but it really doesn't line up with who you are and what your goal is. And so like I know the things about me that um I know I'm not I don't love managing people. So I know I don't want to like build a team and like be in charge and that's not my skill set. So I know I want to keep things small and nimble and light and I want to be able to work with people and be on a small team where we all have our own areas of expertise rather than being the guy who's out front and motivational. And it may flip for you. You may be the opposite of that and you really have to identify that and you don't have to identify it before before you start going. It's about identifying it as you're doing and then taking steps to carve more and more um, that ideal job, that ideal um, life structure for you. You know, that's it's life design. Yeah. I mean, we're even going through that at ConvertKit right now of, you know, we're, we're a growing team and a growing business. And, um, and so we're really getting specialized in our areas of those things that we do best so that our teammates can do the things they do best. Um, and, you know, we have the same mindset that you do, Don, of wanting to stay small and nimble. But even that said, um, people listening might be thinking, Don, you're not small. You're on Shark Tank, um, you know, or convert <laughs> yeah. not small. You have 6,000 plus customers right now. You know, it's not these aren't small businesses um, by some standards, but by other standards, they are still very small businesses. Yeah, um, I think I think so. That point is like um, whenever you compare yourself to somebody else, you uh, you really kind of do yourself a disservice. And so I think I, all the time I look at other businesses and I think, you know, like, um, you know, recently, like we're grossing like $20,000 a month. And in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's more money than I've ever made in my whole life. Like that's a third of what I was making when I was like making the most money that I'd ever made on the road. But then once you start doing it and you, you're engaged in it, you realize like, 
oh, like my gross and my net are two completely different <laughs> things. And then net and profit are two completely different things. And like you start to realize um, once you are in it, once you are engaged in that, you start to realize that what you thought the journey looked like is almost never, I I don't want to say never, but almost never what you thought when you started isn't what you get when you get there. And so that's the importance of being, um, when you define these goals as success and you, you, um, achieve them, it's important to celebrate that success because oftentimes you get to that goal, you achieve that goal and it doesn't look, the landscape doesn't look how you thought it would look. And so the tendency then is to, 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 to take it to heart and to be like, man, I'm such a failure. No, you're not. You achieved your goal. You are successful. And part of that success, you realize, you learned that the thing that you achieved is not part of what you want to become. And so then you pivot, then you move, then you, you know, you look at the next thing and you go, okay, I realized that I learned from this. This is not part of um, the way that I want to design my life. And then you take that and you move it into something else. And I think that that skill, no matter what you do, that skill of being able to look objectively at your your own life and identify that is something, it's a common thread that I've seen with all the people that I consider to be like super successful is that they can look at their life, they can be objective about it, and they can, uh, they can change course really easily. Is that a skill that someone can learn if it's not something that comes naturally to them? Um, and... If so, that's a two-part question. So if, is it something someone can learn or teach themselves? And if so, how would they do that? Are there great resources to learn yeah, that? You know? Absolutely. So um, I don't know if I'm the expert on how to achieve that, but I was just listening yesterday to, I'm like a huge podcast junkie. And so I was, listening, <laughs> I was listening to Invisibilia yesterday and they were talking about this whole um, idea of personality and identity. And so they were looking at inmates and, and they were identifying people that we look at as people that are unchangeable and that have at their core, a part of them that is, that is rotten and will never change. And they began to look at it from like a different perspective. And really a lot of the science says that we're not the same. We're never the same. We're constantly evolving and changing and identifying. And I think, um, you know, given the, and I don't want to get like super like sciencey here, but like given the chemical makeup of our brain and the fact that we know that like our thoughts ingrain themselves in, in the brain and that you, your thoughts define your reality. You basically, when you are thinking things over and over again, you are recreating memories. So you remember something and every time you remember it, it changes that memory. It changes into a physical uh, a neuro pathway in your brain. And so you are really in charge of your life in that you have to reprogram your brain. If you don't look at life through that lens, you need to say like, I'm going to surround myself with people with information and data and stories about people who have changed and who have the kind of life that I want. And you need to think like they do. And you need to think about it. And it's not like, I'm going to think myself into a new life. That's just the beginning. So like our thoughts de- um, define our behaviors, our behaviors define our actions, and then our actions help our mood. And so it's this feedback loop and it all feeds into each other. And I've found like, if I'm not exercising, 
I don't feel like doing work. And if I'm not doing work, I don't feel like exercising. And like the pathway, like you can think yourself into a rut. And it's really important to do things. Um, if you're wanting to change your 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 uh your your thoughts, one of the best things that you can do is change your actions first, because that's something that's physical. You can see it. You can do something about it. Thoughts are like a little bit more ethereal. Like sometimes you don't know how to change your thoughts, um, and so if you can change your set of actions and you can say, "Hey, I'm going to define this and I'm going to start achieving this goal." So. Um, one thing about goals and we've talked a lot about them is you can't just say like, uh, goals need to be specific. They need to be measurable. They need to be attainable and they need to have a timeline. And so you have to look at your goals and you have to make sure that they have those attributes because if they don't, you won't be able to quantify them and make sure that you can accomplish them. So if you say, I want to lose weight. That's so vague. Like that is not specific. It's not measurable. Yeah. You you have no way of achieving that goal. But if you say, I want to lose um, 60 pounds in six months. Okay. Now we can do the math on it, right? Now we can go, okay, you got to lose 10 pounds a month and you got to do that. And, but, oh, 60 pounds in six months is maybe not attainable. So maybe I should reduce that. So I'm going to say, I'm going to lose six pounds in six months. Okay. Now I got to lose a pound a month. How I'm going to lose a pound a month, you know, like you, and you get to be in control of that. So many times we look at our goals and we think like goals are like diets. Like there's something that I don't like, I I, I don't want to have to have like the rules that we have to buck, but it's like, we have to change our thoughts about goals. So think about your goal and goals are fun. They allow you to achieve the thing that, that your dream is. So like goals are dreams with business clothes on. And I didn't make that up, but that's, I think they call them smart goals, uh, right? Exactly. Smart. Yep. Yeah. And so you got to look at your, your dreams and go, Hey, I'm going to pull this out of the clouds. I'm going to wrestle it to the ground. I'm going to make it a goal and then I'm going to achieve it. And so you look at that, those smart goals and you can then quantify anything. So whatever it is, you want to learn an instrument. Okay. Well, say I want to learn guitar. Like most songs are made up of four chords. So I'm going to learn one chord and I'm going to master that chord in one month. And I'm going to, in four months, I'm going to be able to play almost any pop song, you know? And so you'd start to dissect that. Well, there's more to the chord than learning the chord shape. You have to actually learn the rhythm with your other hand. So you can then define it out and achieve that goal rather than I want to play guitar. You will probably never achieve that goal. If your goal is simply, I want to play guitar, you have to be able to put metrics on it, quantify it and achieve it. And I think that's the, that's, that's the, um, that's the common thread with anybody that I've seen that's successful is they can, they can do that with their life. They can pull their dreams out. They can put some clothes on them and they can say, let's get to work. So that getting to work piece, what has been the biggest thing that you have done, Don, that has really been pivotal for you in achieving the goals that you've set for yourself? Um, it could be something you do daily or maybe monthly or annually. Um, I think we get so bogged down in the day-to-day that we forget to set those measurable goals. And and what can someone listening learn from you that you've done that has helped you achieve Absolutely. Where you are with Nerdwax. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think I'm like the shining example of doing everything right. And I really don't think that anybody is. I think that we all have like our quirks. We all, nobody 
even the super successful people are doing this like every single moment of the day. We all have ebb and flow in our life and we all like have seasons where like we're super productive and then have seasons where we're not as productive. And I think that's part of life and being able to identify like, hey, this is a productive season. This is a down season and look at those things and then be objective. But one of the things I feel like that I've I've um, has really helped me in achieving goals is to keep a very simple system. So a lot of times um, when you look at achieving goals, there's a tendency, uh, like, like, like let's take the working out. You get super obsessed about like buying the shoes and buying the Lululemon and like doing all the things prior to working out. <laughs> and you don't need any of that. Like really, you're just avoiding the work around the goal. <laughs> and so what I have identified is create systems in my own like whether it's using notes on my phone, it's it's like a super simple app and set that up so it syncs across all of your devices. Make it easy for you to take things out of your head and put them on paper. That may be a moleskin, that may be Evernote, that may be notes, whatever it is, just make sure that it's consistent, that there's one thing that you use and that it's simple. You wanna take away all the barriers that keep you from just getting work done. And so um, my typical flow a lot of times is I will whiteboard and just brain dump on a whiteboard. Then I'll take those things out and I use a couple things. So I use notes um, to, to kind of capture those things and edit them down. And then I use an app called Clear and it's a really simple list app. It's like ultra simple. It's not going to be like any of the like higher end apps that uh, have a lot of like functionality. It's literally just to make to do items and then be able to swipe them and get a like physical response. Cause you, you hear every time you swipe it, it's like ding oh, and you're like, so I feel rewarding. successful. Yeah. <laughs> it's like great. And so, um, some people just love stickies or they love of, you know, a notepad. Fine. Use that. Like whatever it is, just make sure it's simple. And then second, that it's clean. So like if you're using stickies and your stickies are all over the place, it's creating clutter in your life and it's creating more to-do lists. So when you add things to do, you know, it's part of the get things done, David Allen. I think that's a definitely like mm. give that a give that a go if you um, are looking to like accomplish goals on a regular basis. But David Allen's system is pretty in depth. And for people who love systems, I think it's great for people who don't love systems. They get into it and they're like, oh, this is so like overwhelming. But I kind of distilled it down into something that works for me. And so I have my like to do list items that I go and those are actions. So, um, if I have, um, uh, something on my to-do list that is, uh, like, um, I'm trying to, uh, trying to like, okay. Uh, like we're going to go to a trade show here in September and I have to prep the trade show booth. And so I'll have something like ship trade show booth. Well, that's not a to-do item because there's multiple levels of things that I have to do in order to ship that thing. So first, I have to reconfigure our trade show booth. Second, I have to then um, create a shipping container. Then I have to get shipping quotes. Then, And so it breaks apart into all of these sub-items. Now, if I just have ship trade show booth on there, uh, my brain is registering that as more work that I have to mentally do before I can get to the things where I actually do them. And so what you need to do in your system is break it down and the things on your to-do list, so the things in clear are just actionables. They're just physical activities that I can sit down and do. They're not decisions that I have to make. And so 
when I look through my clear list, those are things that like, if I have downtime, like if I find myself on Facebook or YouTube or Instagram in the middle of the day, I'm like, crap, back to the list. Like, Mm -hmm. like keep yourself accountable to getting back to the list because those are actionables. Those are things that are going to help you to achieve the bigger things. Um, and so that's my system is really like I brain dump, I put that together into a list of actionables and then I take the actionables out of there and create a list and then I knock them out and I just like keep knocking that, that list out. Um, and I think that's my system. Uh, I think it's really hard because any system that you build, there's a tendency to, like I said at the beginning, want the shoes and the Lululemon pants and like the shirt and you like create more to-do lists out of making a to-do list. Like don't do that to yourself. Don't make more work to get work done. Just like, figure out the things to get them done and then change your brain to go like, I'm just going to do these things and I'm going to do them every single day. I like that idea of their to do's. They're not decisions. Yeah. Um, they're just things that have to get done. And if it's a decision, it doesn't belong on a to do list. Yeah. And one thing actually too, now that I'm, I'm like in this mode of thinking is like, I, um, so any kind of clutter I try to eliminate from my life. And so like I use a very simple like email. I dumped everything into Gmail. I use inbox uh, for Gmail and that helps me keep my inbox really low. I'm at probably minus 10 messages to zero inbox on a daily basis. And this is coming from somebody, a lot of people go, well, I can't do that. I was like, I was on Shark Tank. Like we had (laughs) millions of emails coming in and I answered every single one. And I had a team help me sift through all that stuff and identify relevant and non-relevant, but I answered all of those unless they were spam. And so somebody asked me the other day, like, do you respond to all of your customers' emails? Yeah, absolutely. Because all of those customers... Um, that's a relationship. And so, uh, when you're looking at whatever it is that you do, like look at all those emails and don't put it off, just like get into your inbox and just start knocking it out. And it doesn't have to be a thought through. like, sometimes people will email you and they're like, I have a business. Like, can you give me some business advice? And your brain's like, wow, I got to write this novel for this person. And so it sits in your inbox as unread because you don't Mm -hmm. want them to get a read receipt. And like, no, just say like, Hey, these are three resources and have it planned. These are three resources that help me get off the ground. Good luck and send it off. And that's something that I learned personally from uh, Seth Godin just by looking at. So when I was doing the Entree podcast, I had to book Seth and he emailed me back in like 10 minutes. I just emailed him at his SethGodin at gmail.com. And he's amazing at that. He always responds to emails. And I thought, how does he do it? Oh, he, he does it in the same way that he tells everybody on his blog to do it. He lives what he preaches. And that's don't put things off, just do them in the moment. And I've never gotten like this heartfelt novel from Seth. It's always like one line or two well, lines. Well, and if you read his blog, you know that that's not his style anyway. Exactly. So uh, yeah. I think he calls it, the, well, I've heard it referred to as the Ohio method. They yep. only handle it once. Yeah. Um, yep. And so since we were talking about acronyms with SMART goals, might as well throw that one in there too. That's great. So yeah. just if you've heard that thrown around before, oh, what's this Ohio method? That's it. It's only handle it once. I mean, yep. Ariana Huffington answers her own emails yep. at almost the moment you send it. It's yep. amazing. Yeah. Uh, I was listening to a podcast with the prophet Marcus Limonis, yeah. and uh, he was saying he manages all his social, all of his email. He does it all himself. And the person like doing the podcast was like, what do you, what do you mean why? you do? Like, why? Why? <laughs> Why would you do that? And he's like, because it's the connection. And that's something that he does. And once you start doing it, you realize like, oh, this was like, 
I was definitely putting off something that is not that big of a deal. So I try not to spend the like first part of my day in my inbox. I really try to like open up my calendar, look at the things that I got to do, look at my to-do items, try to make a plan and then start attacking it. And look, some days you're just going to get hijacked by your inbox. Like some days you're just going to get hijacked and you got to like deal with that. You got to put out the fires, but if you're, if every day is you putting out fires, then you're not making progress towards your goals. So you got to be able to identify those things and then prioritize. And so, you know, like get into the, um, Stephen Covey, like time quadrants, like important, unimportant. Like I was, so it's really funny that I had to produce a podcast that was basically like for business owners talking about business books because I hate business books. Like the like five steps to failure and six uh-huh. steps to success. Like everyone has their like one thing, two things, three steps, 12 steps. Like it's always like so annoying to me that I'm like, uh, like enough with the steps and every business book is the same. Like the first chapter, like you get into it. The first paragraph is like, is good. The last paragraph is good and all the rest is filler so they can make a 170 page book. And it's annoying. And you're like, uh, like, but there's, you can distill all of that down into principles that will help you achieve your thing. And the same thing with podcasts. So like one thing that Tim Ferriss has said in his podcast, um, I think it was Tim Ferriss. It may not be. Sorry, Tim Ferriss, if this is not right. But um, one thing that he said is like he doesn't feel guilty about not finishing a book. If he gets into the book and it's not resonating, he's not getting anything out of it, then he just doesn't finish it. And so that's one thing that I've kind of applied to myself is to try to read more or try to consume more. But if I don't finish it, just make sure that I got something out of it, that I distilled something out and have applied it to my life. And I, I feel like that's... A, a better way to do things when you feel overwhelmed and busy. Cause there, there's a lot of pressure to like readers are leaders and mm-hmm. read more and do more. And you're like, I just like, I just can't even get to inbox zero. Like, give me a break. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I have no room, but there's always areas of your life that you can begin to cut out. So, um, one thing that I've done personally is just try to like, keep myself on track with, do I want to be spending my time doing this thing? And sometimes I have to be, sometimes I like have to be doing that thing. But oftentimes like, uh, for instance, mowing my lawn, like it was taking me like four hours to mow my lawn. Cause I'm a perfectionist and like got the weed whacker and the blower and the mow. And I just like was realizing like I'm mowing my lawn and there's like a hundred people in Nashville that can mow my lawn and I can spend that time and those four hours doing something productive. Yeah. So I need to delegate that off, even though like I'm listening to podcasts and I feel like I'm accomplishing something like that's not something that's serving the greater goal of what I'm trying to achieve. And so being okay with my yard, not looking exactly how I want it to look because it's just not high on the list of priorities. And so, um, kind of distilling that down and deciding the things that are very important to you and, and, and only doing those things. And that's a luxury that I have now. Like, obviously like that's something that I have the ability to say like, wow, my time's more valuable now. It four years ago, it wasn't like the value is I got to mow the lawn and I got to do it. And so then I would listen to podcasts while I did it to try to redeem that time somewhat. Yeah. And so there's always going to be a give and take there. And it's just acknowledging that 
sometimes these things are more or less important and, and knowing when it's time to say, okay, I need to give this to someone else or I need to focus time here right now. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one thing that I feel like, uh, I'm, I keep saying the one thing I feel like. Uh, so another thing that I feel has been really pivotal in me has um, been learning the idea of tension and living in the tension. Um, so so a lot of times we feel like we're going to like master something and we'll have it figured out. And oftentimes that's not the case. We have to manage attention in between the two things. And so you're constantly managing the tension of, uh, is this important for me to do versus do I have the resources to get mm. this done outside of myself? And so there's going to be seasons where you're managing that tension and you're doing more of the things by yourself because that's what the season requires. And then there's going to be time where you're doing, uh, you know, you're delegating more and you're managing that tension. You're not just going to where everything in your life is delegated or everything in your life you are doing yourself. Like you have to manage that tension and find the balance in it. I think that's really important is like, don't try to solve all the areas of your life. Try to manage the tension. And that's so good. I, it's like, and this happens all the time on this show is that like the best little bits come out at the very end. Yeah. So thank you for adding that in, Donna. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you have, you've done so much in two years or really seven years since the idea yeah. of Nerdwax started. And you've achieved a, a pretty broad reach now between your successful Kickstarter and, and the Shark Tank episodes and, and everything that's happened since then. What do you want to do with the reach that you have? Yeah, that's such a great question. And it's something that uh, we're still figuring out. Um, when I start, like when I put this out on Kickstarter, there was no expectation that it would take off in the at the speed that it did. Like our whole goal when we launched via Kickstarter was to make enough money to make a big enough batch that we could start going and launching regional into optical shops. And as a result of our Kickstarter, we were sending tubes to Malaysia and Taiwan. And like I'm now sending 2,000 tubes a month to Taiwan to a retail partner there that's like shipping them. And we're, we're just now getting to the point, like, um, uh, where we're starting to meet our, our own personal goals as a result of the business. And we're starting to do things like one of the things that we talk to our kids about is like, once we achieve this goal of paying off our personal debt, like our cars and our credit cards, like we're going to do a trip. And so like this summer, we're taking a personal trip with our family. We're going to road trip it out to visit my dad who lives in Lake Tahoe, California. And we're going to stop at a lot of the places. So we're giving them the like, uh, the opportunity to help plan that trip and to, to pick out some of the things that they have always wanted to see in the U S and to experience those things together. And I think that, um, you know, our reach, like the, the, the ability to get out there. A lot of times we look at the, the, the metrics of success in the business. And we think like, those are the only measures of success. And I have re-identified that, Hey, this business is going to allow me to do things in my personal life as well. And to make those almost as important as the business. Like, obviously we're in our infancy. We have to pay more attention to the baby than you do when they're a toddler, than you do when they're grown up. Like we have to invest more in the business right now, but just taking those little bits of success and going, 
hey, we just hit this metric, like, let's pay off our debt. Hey, we just hit this metric, let's take a road trip as a family. And, you know, people call that work-life balance. Like, I don't think it's like a 50-50 balance. I don't think it's something that you figure out. It's the tension you manage and you figure out the little bits where, where you can go, hey, we've had some success, let's celebrate it and let's, let's uh, figure something out. So with our reach, we're still figuring that out. Right now, it's still on the personal level, but we hope that in, here in the future, we can actually use it for good for others as well. So we can take that beyond our family. Um, one of the big thing is when you're in debt, it's really something that governs you. And so now that we we don't have that burden, we can start thinking about helping other people. And I think that's like the put your mask on yourself before you put the mask you know, on somebody else. Like you got to take care of your life so that you have the bandwidth, so that you have the creative energy to go and do good for other people. And I think like Damon on Shark Tank is always like, first you make it, then you master it, then you can matter. So like we're still in the mastering it, making, making, the mastering part. We don't matter yet. Um, but we're working towards that. And I think that in the future, like we'll be able to do really cool things with the platform that we're building. And that's the, that's really the end goal is to, to not only do good things, it's not to make a bunch of money. It's just to have this creative life and freedom to, to be able to make a difference and, and to be able to help people. But right now that's not the season that we're in. And so, um, it's just identifying that and acknowledging that season and then moving forward into the future with the end goal in mind. Well, and the work does matter to those that are closest to you. And so that's the that's what you want to do with the reach that you have right now. And then as it continues to grow, it can matter to more and more people that that, that matter bubble can can grow. So absolutely. Thank you for sharing your your story with us and all of those really actionable items around how you accomplish everything you do every day. And that I know I got a lot out of it. I'm sure our listeners were taking either mental notes or actual notes um, and can go back and listen and, and make use of the action sheet that, that we have over on convertkit.com slash reach. They can check that out there and grab the action sheet to, to take those notes and, and get into action themselves. So thank you so much, Don. Appreciate your time. Um, and we wish you all the success with NerdWax. Awesome. Thanks, Val. It was super fun. That was Don Haney of NerdWax. You can find out more about Don and his products at nerdwax.com. Grab your free action guide from this episode to help you impact your own reach today. Head to convertkit.com slash reach or simply click the link provided right in your podcast player. It's time to expand your reach. We're so glad you started here. Thanks for listening.